0: hi good morning this is the good coffee morning. celebration with your host Wendy C. Friedman Steinberg and today my guest is the amazing Emily Donahue I am so excited she is here we met at Miami University of Ohio love and honor right love and it, honor oh my gosh and that it has been 20 years but all of us are still so connected and we still have the perfect skin um for sure for sure definitely <laughs> for sure but, My guest, Emily, is from Massachusetts. I know you went to Syracuse, and you studied rhetoric and communications, right? Um, So why don't you just start off telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you ended up at Syracuse, and then how you ended up at Miami? Oh, can't wait. I
1: can't wait. Okay, so I am so happy to see you WS, it's so great to be here. Um, So I was, you know, a kid who just loved everything. I loved every subject. I loved um, math and science and, Literature wasn't my favorite. I love to read, but I didn't love the classics. (laughs) But but I just really enjoyed learning. And when I was applying for colleges, I was looking at a lot of schools, like the state schools and um, schools in my area. And we had this amazing um, organization at our high school called the Office of Graduate Opportunities. And it was basically college counseling, but, Beyond that, so I went to a comprehensive high school. So if you wanted to get an intern uh, assistantship with um, a plumber, they would help you do that. If you wanted to become a mechanic, they'd help you get a, a, an, um, get connected with an auto body so shop. So um, college counseling was part of it. So at the Office of Graduate Opportunities, I had this amazing counselor named Mimi Hajar, and she changed my life. So she was looking at the schools that I was applying to and looking at my transcripts and saying, you know, I think these are really solid wins for you. I think you should go for more of a reach school. And my response was, well, I don't think I can get into Harvard, right? That's like, it's, it's UMass or Harvard in Massachusetts. That's like, And she was like, no, I wasn't thinking that, but I was thinking more of like, like a top 50 school. She's like, I don't know, like, like a Syracuse she pulled the name out of a hat and it was 1996 when we had this conversation and so she went over to the filing cabinet went to the S section and got the Syracuse catalog and I started looking through and I was like oh this looks like a really nice place with a lot of variety for um for majors and so I ended up filling out the application without much more thought than that because it was the 90s and we barely had the internet and that's how college (laughs) processes went back then. And um, I have to say that visiting the campus was the best experience for me. I went with my parents for an accepted student weekend. And once I got there, I was like, I don't wanna leave. It just felt like home, and my parents. At one point, they split the parents and the students up. And my parent, when we came back together, my parents were like, "Oh, this is this is for you." (laughs) Like they felt it as well. So they they got the sense that like this was the place that was going to be my. Growth. This this mm-hmm. was going to be my home, and I was I'm first generation college student. Um, my dad did go to college on the GI Bill um, as a non traditional student after serving in the Navy. Um, my mom um, did not, and so I was the, the first really in uh, in my family to go to traditional college experience, and um, it just was a really big deal for all of us. And but also felt like. Yeah, this is happening because I just loved learning. And it was just a, a continuation of learning. And so when I was there, I was undeclared for two full years. It was like the last moment that you could be undeclared. And and I, I sat there like freaking out, I don't have a major. I still just love learning I was taking astronomy and art history and philosophy and I was just you know doing the common core uh liberal arts common core and uh, <laughs> I was looking at the course catalog like what am I gonna what am I gonna be what am I gonna do and my best friend at the time Tara she she, <laughs> she was like well let's go through and we went through and we were like getting to almost to the Z's in the, in the, in the course catalog of majors. And one of the things that I did love is I took this great nutrition class and she's like, well, why don't you, you know, make an, an appointment with the nutrition office. And you loved that class, like investigate further what a major would look like. And then the, um, then the next <laughs> from N, to S there was really nothing that sparked my interest until it came to speech communication and she turned to me and was like well you like to speak and you like to talk so maybe this would be a good one for you and I made um I ended up making appointments with the two different offices and it was like out of a rom-com for finding your major like the person at the nutrition office like they're at Syracuse obviously is known for the snow and we had gotten like a foot overnight. And the person who I was supposed to be meeting with was running late and she had a flat tire and she came in all like huffy and not really interested in talking to me. And she basically was like, yeah, um, it's nothing like that class that you took. It's this, this, and this, and, um, there's no way you can graduate in in four years. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) She was just not very welcoming. And then I literally walked across a path to the building across from from the nutrition to Sims Hall at Syracuse. And this man, Professor Jensen, Arthur Jensen, who was the director of um, SpeechCom at the time, he welcomed me in and they, it was the end of a semester and they were having like a goodbye party for all their grad students. And so there was literally milk and cookies waiting for me. <laughs>
0: the that's, not oh <laughs> that's not a sign. Oh my God.
1: And, and then he came in and he just was like the stereotypical professor. He had the tweed with the leather patches. He had vines on his windows. He had books up from Florida ceiling. And he was, you know, the bearded glasses, amazing, amazing, such a kind man. And he just looked at me after our conversation and he said, you know, I think speech Calm is, is going to be a good home for you. And again, that was like, why, why I chose Syracuse is that it felt like it was going to be home. And then yeah. for him to say, I feel like this is going to yeah. be a good home for you. I was, I just felt, and the cookies and milk, <laughs> I of felt course. Like, <laughs> It was meant to be, and it really was. And I just loved all of my professors. I mean, I used to talk to you about
0: my professors. <laughs> I was like, we used oh, to have conversations about rhetoric. Like about we would just rhetoric. be like, I know can't... we would just be like, do we have to be somewhere? I'm like, it was just amazing. Let's just keep
1: talking about talking. Um, right. Yeah. So I ended up having an amazing time, and then. um After graduating, I had been an RA for three years and um, which was great. And um, Tom Ellett, who's a rock star in higher ed, he he was like, you know, you're good at this. You should do this. This is a career. And so um, he was the director at Syracuse at the time. And and he said, well, you know, I've got friends in different cities, pick a city and let's get you connected. And so I was like, well, maybe New York City. So I ended up um, working at St. John's in New York City. And it was the second year that they had a residential program. And um, so this is August of 2001 that I moved there. And uh, we know what happened a month later. So a month into me living there, 9-11 hit. And so so St. John's was on the Queens campus, um, but we could see the towers from our campus. And there was also, there was a smaller campus across the street from the Twin Towers that was the the Manhattan campus, and there was it was residential as well, and so it was just a a devastating, a, unbelievably devastating day. And Wendy Sue, I was I was 21, right? Like I had just graduated college, and had it been three months earlier, I would have been at college being taken care of by college professionals, but instead I was the professional taking care of college students. And um, so it was a really incredible, emotional, devastating time. Um, I will never forget the people who who I worked with that year. Um, We supported each other. We supported our students and at the time, St. John's was a largely residential, or most of the people were from the boroughs or the tri-state area. So nearly every student lost someone that they loved, um, and for, it was just a year of tragedy. Because you would go to the grocery store months and months and months later, and there were there was a funeral procession because um, another body would have been found, and it was just it was just an ongoing trauma. Um, and so I realized pretty early on that probably about November that I was like, I, I can't stay here. I can't do this much more than this year. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to go to grad school. And so I called up my professors from Syracuse and they basically said, we see you at two places. One is Emerson in Boston and the other is Miami in Ohio. And I had already lived in the Boston area. So I was like, Okay. I guess I'm going to Miami of Ohio. And I applied. It was the only place that I applied to. And um, I got in. And then because I had this residential life background, um, I was able to get an assistantship with the Office of Residential Life um, and new student programs. And uh, that was where we met and (laughs) what... 20 years ago, just really changed the trajectory of my life. So yeah. that's how I ended up at Miami.
0: So, did, so you wanted to get a graduate degree in speech communication, In speech
1: communication. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what I, did that, you
0: see as your career after getting your, your master's in speech communication?
1: Yeah. So I have always loved politics. And
0: really, that's what? interesting. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh, I know you're so surprised. If anyone were to look at my Facebook feed,
0: it's just oh my awesome. god, your Facebook feed is pure inspiration. All right, oh. I look at you and I'm like, mm, all right, we got this, oh, it's so true. You. Okay, go ahead. I
1: so, I, I've always been, in, I just grew up in a very politically active family. We, um, we <clears throat> are from Massachusetts. So it's no surprise that we're Democrats. So like pretty much 90% of Massachusetts is. Um, and um, my, my parents both served in the armed forces. And so I'm from a family of veterans and they just have a lot of passion for our country. And they passed that on to my brother and I, and um, we were always very active. If there was, <laughs> I actually, I, I when I was in sixth grade, there was a a referendum about funding for schools called proposition two and a half. And the cities were having all of these debates about it. And, you know, we were brought to city hall by our parents to sit and listen to all of these things. And my parents would get up and speak and our neighbors would speak. And one time I got up and spoke and talked about what it was like, I was in sixth grade and I was like, here's what it's like in school. My textbook for science says, and this was in the late 80s, it was like that one day man will walk on the moon, right? Like this is the funding issue that we need to take care Mm, of. Right. 20 20 years ago, right? Uh, So so we, and then also- um, I also grew up with a lot of female politicians in in the area. Our, my state senator was a woman, um, an out woman, actually. Um, my mayor was a woman, and she was my neighbor and um, very dear friends of my parents um, were on the school committee. So, and and that was a woman as well. And I just remember working on her campaign and like stapling lawn signs for her. So. It had just always been part of my life that I loved politics and knew that you could make a big difference in it. And one thing that I really wanted to do with speech communication was become a um, political speechwriter. I really wanted to to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the ultimate goal.
0: And your career has kind of taken a pivot, right? It because has. you're an elementary school teacher, but I don't even know how you would become a speechwriter for a politician. I mean, that seems to be just like a, a niche. I don't even know how you would, you know, get into that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, how do you get into that field?
1: I think that was something that I had underestimated as well. Oh. That there there seems to be two ways. You have a direct connection or you work your way up. Um <clears throat> starting with like knocking on doors and asking for donations. And so for me, when I graduated, I graduated officially in 2006 from Miami. um, And I came back home and there were a few um, off presidential year campaigns. And so I was, you know, going around saying what I could do. And, and they were like, okay, but uh, yeah, you got to show your, you got to earn your stripes. And So I had student loans that I had to pay, (laughs) so I couldn't. I couldn't just take the. I couldn't volunteer. I had to do something, and so my brother, who's younger than me, had just graduated from college, and he said, and he was starting as a phys ed teacher. And before he he had graduated in December, and then that following fall, he got a full time job as a PE teacher, and. but in that six month gap, he substitute taught. And so he said, you know, why don't you just substitute teach you? You need to figure out what you want to do. You're, this is not what you thought you wanted to do. is yeah. isn't working out, yeah. but you still have to pay off these loans. So why don't you get a job at Attleboro Public Schools, which is where we both went to school as a sub. And so he brought me there and he knew the, the people because he had just been a sub there. And they were like, oh, we'll probably call you in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and I got a call like the next day. And <laughs> so it was to sub for a fifth grade class in a middle school. So fifth grade in my hometown is in middle school. And um, I got there. And when the students walked in, it was like like lightning struck me. And I was just like, Oh oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. These are my people. Like, and it's so funny because the whole time at Syracuse that I was undeclared and even when I did have a major, everyone assumed that I was an elementary ed major. And even at Miami, people thought that, oh, you're not in, you're not in higher ed. Are you in the education? They thought I was getting a master's degree oh. in education, which is kind of funny that it's like everyone saw it except for me. Um, and my, and so, um, that day my, my car had just (laughs) broken down so that my dad had had to bring me to my substitute teaching job. It was kind of a low point, (laughs) it felt like, (laughs) so my dad brought me and then he picked me up and he took me out to McDonald's to get the McDonald's Sundays, which are so good. And he was like, so how was your first day at school? And I looked at him and I said, dad, I. I need to be a teacher. And he was like, well, I'm glad you finally figured it out. We've known since you were in kindergarten.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. So then I, I, um, I then had to figure out how to make that happen. And so I spoke with, I ended up subbing at that school a lot. And I spoke with the teachers about how to make it happen. And they were really supportive and thought it would be a great idea for me to do that. And, I ended up using my res life skills. So I applied to Boston College for a resident director's job which I had been all at Miami and at St. John's and I was an RA for three years at Syracuse. And so um, it turned out that the director from St. John's had started working at Boston College. What? And he used to tell me all the time that I should be a teacher because before he was in higher ed, he was a teacher and he saw it in me. And so I applied. It was a weird like October opening, which doesn't happen very often in Resley. Right, right, right. So I sent him an email and he wrote back and he said, where have you been? Absolutely come and in and interview. We would love to have you interview And I started in January and then uh, at at BC in a residence life position as a hall director. And the first couple of weeks I was checking in with this director and he said, so, you know, how's it going? Great, good. Um, So what what are you going to work on while you're here? Because Boston College has an amazing um, free tuition option for employees wow. and I said well you know I think I think I need to be I, I, and I told him the story about substitute teaching and he was like well I'm glad you finally figured it out so yeah I'm glad you said that because I already made an appointment for you with the dean of education of the education school you're meeting with him on Wednesday
0: <laughs> so that's amazing
1: it was really really wonderful and he continued to be so supportive Throughout my whole um, journey in grad school, so I did it. It took about three and a half years while working full time to get my master's in education. Um,
0: so where did so you were you were a resident director for three and a half years
1: at BC, yeah, Boston yeah. College, yeah. Wow. Yep, yeah. and so uh, while going to school full time, and then um, then I did. I left in August of 2010. And then that fall, I did my full prac teaching, practicum teaching. And then um, I was lucky to get into the public school system that I'm in. And then a friend of the teacher that I was working with happened to be pregnant with twins and they needed a, a long-term substitute. And so I interviewed for that position and got it. And then I'm still at that school. since. <laughs> since
0: that 20. is amazing.
1: Yeah, it all really like once I figured it out, it all came together. Yeah. 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 But it so was you're... a journey to get there. It Are you
0: still long. teaching fifth grade?
1: I taught fifth grade for three years, and now I um, am in my 12th year of teaching, which is crazy. Yeah. And so I'm now in my ninth year of third grade.
0: Third grade.
1: Oh. Yes. Yes.
0: Oh my gosh. And for those listening, Emily, every day, she takes a picture of her dry erase board, of what has happened in history on that day. And literally, it it keeps me grounded because I look forward to that every day to know what is going on. And um, Emily is extremely gifted artistically as well. So I have things in my home that she has made me up on the walls. And when we were at Miami of Ohio, I was expecting my first child. And when I came back from maternity leave, she had done a trading spaces in my office. Do you remember that? Because we were all into Ty Pennington because he was such a cutie. Oh my gosh. And this is my segue into a different part of your amazing life. Because Emily meets the most famous people ever. Okay. So who went with you to meet Ty Pennington. I can't remember. With it was Kara another.
1: Fisher. Fisher.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. And you guys, the pictures, it was just amazing. It was
1: like incredible. It was so but, incredible.
0: But that was not your first uh, famous person that you met. It was, it was like, mad. you just posted something recently. You were like in elementary school or something. And you met someone. Yeah. So this is also part of your civic duty—is to meet all this fame, all these famous people. So mm-hmm. Tell us how that got started, too.
1: It started pretty early. So I met uh, Maria and Luis from Sesame Street when I was in like third grade. Second, I know, right? Grade. That's the it best. Was the best day of my life, and I—I I think what that experience taught me was that famous people are accessible. <laughs> right? They're out there, they're people. And that they do a lot of promotions. So it was a promotional event for a PBS um, news station in the Providence area. And my mom heard about it. And so she was like, we're going. <laughs> and we went and it was awesome. And we got to meet them. And they were so nice. They were just the nicest people. And so I think I learned pretty early. And then I also think with politicians, just having pretty close access to them all Pretty frequently, that they're just people, and you can go up and have a conversation with them, and so that's what I do. <laughs> and so you and I, I also very Irish. We have the gift of gab. I love to talk to strangers, and I used to um, go down to the Smithsonian for a lot of uh, in DC to, for a lot of teacher trainings, and we had to say what our superpower was, and mine was I like to talk to strangers. So. And it's true, like you can learn so much by talking to people that you don't know. And that includes famous people. So one of the things that I love to do is I love to go to book talks. So when, um, that's how I get to meet a lot of um, popular people or famous people is that they write memoirs. And so I go and they'll go to bookstores throughout the country to try and sell their books. And then a lot of times after pre-pandemic, they will have a signing line and you get to chat with them and take a picture. And so um, I've met a lot of people that way. That's how I met Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker, well before he was Cory Booker, uh, the senator, he was the mayor, but he was that he was speaking at BC and I really liked his speech. And so I just went up to him after and I told him, I thought this was a great speech and here's what I liked. And turns out we both love Star Trek. And then we started talking about that. So, you know, they're people, they like Star Trek. They like um, politics. They, they like laughing. They like being told that they're exciting and they're, they're yeah. interesting, yeah. right? Just like anyone wants to. Were
0: yeah. you ever uh, starstruck? Like who was the biggest one where you were like, couldn't find your tongue. You were just like, Oh my God.
1: I think Mindy Kaling. (gasps) Yeah. I was really starstruck around her and she was so sweet. It was a book. She has the best memoir. She's so funny, but it was their second memoir. And I was such a fan of her first that I just didn't even all I wanted to say was just like I love you. Let's be best friends, but I knew that that wasn't cool, so <laughs> I didn't. So I was there with one of my good friends, and we were just like we love you. <laughs> it just was a lot of octaves of <laughs> love and feeling, and she was like, "Oh, thank you." She was so sweet. She also had a photographer come (laughs) and take the pictures, which I thought was so smart because she was like so well lit. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Like a bad selfie angle. I thought that was a really good, good.
0: So then did you get the picture?
1: I did. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Got the picture. So you got like a little card saying go to this website and you can get the picture. So, yeah, it was awesome.
0: (laughs) Please tell me you've taken pictures with all of these famous people because you're such an um, gifted artist, what have you done with this amazing catalog of famous people?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So I have a website for my classroom, and I tend to meet a lot of children's authors. So I have a page on my classroom oh my website gosh. of famous children. Like when I met Judy Bloom, what what happened? I met Judy Bloom. <laughs> it was just her birthday yesterday fun fact she and
0: (laughs) she and president lincoln share a birthday wait a minute how did you meet judy bloom because like i'd have goosebumps that was my favorite author growing up
1: tales of a fourth grade nothing freckle oh my god everything 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 she's amazing yeah i i am lucky in boston that we have a lot of independent bookstores so um There's Brookline Booksmith, Harvard Books, Wellesley Books, The Blue Bunny. There's just so many independent bookstores and authors tend to promote their books at those independent bookstores as like a service to the independent bookstores. So she was at, she was promoting her book. Um, It was an adult book, what was it called? Was it The
0: Sisters one?
1: No, it was one about um, airplanes crashing.
0: Oh, no, I don't know that one.
1: It was really, it was a good book. I just can't remember the title of it right now. Um, but she was promoting it. And so Brookline Booksmith was able to get her to come. And so she was at this little bookstore in Brookline, Massachusetts, just hanging out, signing signing autographs, meeting- Do You have to
0: person. get tickets? Like she's mega famous.
1: Oh, they but they're like five dollars. So oh, you okay? It, it's more of like they want to know how big the crowd is going to be, oh, so they like charge okay. a minimal amount on Eventbrite, Just to make sure that you show up, and then they give you a five dollar coupon for the book. So it's really okay. you don't you don't really have to pay. It's okay. just, a, yeah, it's just a way to make sure to keep you there.
0: So you did you ever meet Mo Willems? Yes. <gasps> oh yeah. What is he like? Oh my God! Tell me everything. Those are our favorite books.
1: Mo Willems lives in Massachusetts. He, uh, so he is around and he is funny. Oh my gosh. So I, he puts on a presentation, like he knows his audience, right? He is so good. And he gets up there and he's like shaking his, his groove thing and he's dancing around and he's reading the books. Like exactly you want the pigeon to be read and gets the audience involved and he is just so funny and so nice loved him yep
0: (laughs) (laughs) he
1: is in Massachusetts so there's um I think that's another thing is that a lot of authors live here yeah Um, Rick Reardon lives in the Cambridge area which is right by me um so I've seen him quite a few times um Uh, Lois Lowry, who wrote Number the Stars. I've met her twice. Um, She lives in this area. A lot of children's book authors. So Eric Carl, who sadly just passed. I know. But you you met him? I didn't meet him. I'm so sad that I didn't meet him. But he has a museum in Western Massachusetts called the Eric Carl Children's Book Museum. And uh, a lot of authors actually live in that area. It's right by UMass Amherst. And they all live in that Amherst area. And it's like oh it's collaborative, like Jane Yolen and Jarrett Krasoska and all of the and Mo Willems, and um, they, they all live there. Oh, my so gosh. So it's like the uh, children's book artist community that's there.
0: So you yeah. created a website for your classroom? Yes. Because... Mm-hmm. You had met so many children's authors?
1: It's one part of it. So oh. I, I use my website for a lot of different things in our class. It's, it's actually pretty expected at this point for elementary school teachers to have websites for parents to find information on, um, which is wow. an, an skill that I had to build. Um, but what, what I did is I've turned it into a place where you can kind of ignite your interests So there's a a about me portion where it talks about my my education and I travel a lot. So I have pictures from my travels and a map of where I've traveled and um, authors that I've met and um, different. I'm also really into art and using art in the classroom. And so different museums I've been to. I'm on an educator's board at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. I've done a lot with the Smithsonian. So there's information and connections there. Um, and then I also do an artist of the week series that I developed. And so I have it all online so that anyone can access it. And there's um, links to videos about the author. And then there's an image that I've chosen that you can do some visual thinking strategies with to, um, to look and just think about what you notice and yeah. what you like and what you dislike. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just an, an exercise. In getting to know the artist, but then also noticing and listening to what yeah. everyone in the classroom has to say. <coughs> so that's on there. Um, I also have a lot for Black History Month on there. There's links to different um, change-making Black women that they can read more about. Um, I have links to children's books on there. Um, yeah, and I try and I try and keep up with authors that are coming to visit. Now it's on Zoom. But a lot of my students have been able to meet authors as well, because I'll tell parents about, oh, you can meet Peter Brown, <laughs> creepy pair of underwear, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you can meet him. <laughs> he wrote The Wild Robot, which is the best book. The Wild Ro- Robot is amazing.
0: So, yeah. Oh, you're creating a curriculum in your class. You're responsible yep, yep. for updating this website. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... Tremendous. It is, oh Oh, my gosh. How did you do when um the pandemic hit and you had to go remote?
1: Yeah. So I had a very interesting thing that I was actually supposed to be teaching in China. That's right. (laughs) So I was supposed to be January 19th, 2020. I was supposed to get on a plane and fly to Beijing and work with seven high school students and another colleague, um, elementary school teacher. And we were, we were going to be there for five months. And we were going to be in China. And 36 hours before we were supposed to fly there, we were delayed for two weeks because um, we didn't have enough homestays, which was kind of weird. And then it turns out that, so I was supposed to leave on Friday, no, Saturday evening. And that Saturday the 19th was the first time that the Wuhan virus made it to American news that night. So things changed very quickly. Um, A two week delay turned into what's now a two year delay. Um, So I was actually out of the classroom from, January 17th until <clears throat> the first week of March because it, we were in this in limbo we weren't sure how long the this, right. this illness was going to go we still were hoping to make it happen there was a substitute in my classroom so finally they realized this isn't getting any better you need to go back into the classroom and so I went back the first week of it was like March 5th or something basically I was <laughs> I was in the classroom for six school days and then we shut down. Oh my gosh. And on March 13th, uh, March 15th, and we had to, no, it was Friday the 13th. It was March 13th. And then we had to go remote. And it, it was such a shift, but I was actually really thankful that I had the website because I was able to use the information that I already had on there, but also the students were familiar with how to use it. So I could put different resources on there. And everyone could access it. We didn't have, we did have Google Classroom, but we didn't really use it. And so there were all of these tools that we kind of had, but had never really worked with before. So it was a lot of learning on the fly. Um, But then I also had an amazing um, aide in my classroom that year who was um, trained in yoga. And so we once a week did yoga with the kids. And we did, and and all the family was welcome to come, and so it was a lot of family and pets and, um, that joined in on yoga. And uh, I did a read aloud. I recorded a read aloud and uploaded the videos um, because a lot of um, publishers allowed for like you could you could have it up for a month and then you'd have to take it down, but they allowed that during the early days of the pandemic, and didn't ha- you didn't have to worry about copyright. Um, and we did a lot of social, we tried to do as much social as possible. So I did a boy's lunch, a girl's lunch, and everyone lunch. Um, and we had fairly relaxed, or not, not relaxed, but just different expectations from that mid-March until June timeframe. frame. Um, because access was not equal amongst students. So it was not supposed to be new content. It was supposed to be mostly social, emotional and interesting things, Mm -hmm. um, to, to share and to learn. Um, and then my, my school district actually went back to hybrid in that fall. So I was in school every day. And then I had a hybrid class. So I would have half of the class Monday, Tuesday in person. And then on Thursday and Friday, they were doing things online. And then I had the second half Thursday and Friday in person when Monday and Tuesday, they were doing things online. And then I would have an online day with everyone on Wednesdays. It was a logistical nightmare. So <laughs> what, I, what I learned is that I um, should never have a... Uh, a job where right. I'm working on operations—that's not my skill set. Yeah. <laughs> so creativity is my skill set. Um, yeah. yeah. So we did that until April of 2021, and then we went back full person in person, and have been ever since.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah. Are you are you hoping to go to China, or at this point is it a mute point?
1: So the program relationship is still there. And we are, the other teacher and I are still technically on deck to be next. It's just a matter of when is it going to be safe to go. And so um, they always come to America in the fall first, and then we go in the spring. Um, So if they come in the fall, then I could go as early as 2023, January, 2023. So that's still on on the table. I still have monthly meetings about it, okay. um, but unclear
0: <laughs> right.
1: when uh, COVID is going to stop wreaking havoc on the world. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll what see. is the best
0: thing about teaching for you?
1: That's a great question. Uh, what I've realized this year So this year is hard. This year is surprisingly hard. Last year was logistically hard. This year it's emotionally hard. Um, And as hard as it is for me some days to get to school and feel motivated, the moment that the students come in, I'm there, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I am having a great time and I love it. So the best thing is the students for sure. Um, and every year you get a whole new group of students and somehow every year you get to build community and you learn together and you see them grow and change. Yeah. And there's a lot of satisfaction in, especially in third grade, there's a lot of growth with reading and just even waking up to the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that is something that's really exciting to see um, them go from from being second graders to fourth graders. It's a big jump, and it's it's a real it's a real honor to to be trusted with that journey with their family and with my school district for them to trust in me to guide them through that time mm-hmm. is is a real gift and I get to teach cursive.
0: So yeah, and I'm so glad you're still doing that. I am yeah. so, that is, okay. It's not just about learning cursive. It's, it's yep. there's something in the brain that, oh my gosh, thank you for doing that yes. because some schools have completely dropped it.
1: Which I don't understand because hello, our constitution is written in cursive. Like right. our founding documents are written in cursive if you want to do any kind of research, it's all yeah. written in cursive. And so it's, it's important. It's important. Yeah. It's also really important for students who have like OT issues yes. that not having to pick up your pencil, every single letter and work on that spacing. It's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. And so- you letters from your grandma. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I definitely see you as, oh my gosh, are you getting Miss Donnie here next year? Oh my God. Yeah. So are you like, everyone looks forward to your class. I can see this. Yes. Right.
1: That is really sweet of you to say. It would be a bit boastful if I said yes. Of
0: course it is. Oh um, my goodness.
1: But I do have to say that I always, when I have repeat families, mm-hmm and they contact me and say, we're so excited that, you know, their second or third child has you again, you know, that, that, that you're, you come with like a kid tested mother approved type of of steal. and that you mean things. And it's, it's also been really special because some of my fifth graders are actually in college now, (sighs) which is so crazy, right? Like that the time passes so, so quickly. I know. And so, for I've had some parents reach out to me on Facebook or social media, or we bump into each other at the local grocery store and they'll say, like, you are still talked about at our dinner table. And it's like, what? <laughs> me? Oh my gosh, thank you. That's so, and for them to say that is just such a compliment that I'm part of their lives. And that's just such a, a gift. And I think about, I can name every single one of my teachers and I still talk about them yes. and I'm in my early forties. <laughs> right. Right. So for, for me to ha- hold that place in someone's heart is really, really special.
0: Oh, yeah. absolutely. I am still in touch with my sixth grade and 10th grade teacher, Mrs. Phillips. What? And I know, and her son was one of my residents in college. And then ah. I was like, wait a minute. The last time I saw you, you were seven, and now you're, you're one of my residents at, And I was, it was mind-blowing. But you know what? All of us at Miami of Ohio have, yeah. have known about this incredible special aura you possess, because you draw people to you, oh and God. the fact that we're all still in touch, I mean, when you- post pictures with Paul Gordon Brown, you know, know. and Dan Early yeah. and all and of, Jennifer I mean, and Jennifer you know. and everybody. It's just like.
1: Marlon. Oh my gosh. That was fun to
0: see Marlon. Oh my I gosh. Know. What I a know. love. Oh my gosh. We've really, it'll be 20 years. 20 this years. This summer.
1: This summer. And we should
0: probably try to do something.
1: I, we have to. It, yeah. you know, and it's so, you know, the other day we had this great thread going on Facebook, like Jennifer posted something and then everyone posted about how important Miami is in our lives. Still, Friendships are still thriving. And I, I think, you know, we always just say that there was a magic. There was That, that summer of 2002, there was an, there was a magic. We were all brought there and continue to be part of each other's lives and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about yeah. it, but it really just totally changed my life. And I just am so thankful for everyone that I know from there because they continue to bring joy and happiness and challenge and yes. excitement and support. And it's just such a continual gift. It's
0: amazing. Yeah. Just like we weekends- can. Oh my God. But we could sell, I mean, we celebrate each other. We're like, Marlon had a baby. Or, you know, like, it's just, and there was like never any sort of competition or anything negative those two years. It was just, everybody was just, I don't know, cohesive and loving and everything you said, everything you said. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I guess, When you and I are both people who lead with compassion and, and enthusiasm and love. And I think that that was a thread for, for us all is that we, we all came from a place of love and understanding and support. And I think it was also freshly after 9-11, right? So I think we were all healing in our own ways and we're, we're really there for each other through those anniversaries and um but also it was just just a more cohesive time it feels like. yeah. um but I but also we were pretty awesome people
0: <laughs> so <laughs> we cannot deny the truth not okay not,
1: uh, we were pretty awesome
0: <laughs> oh my gosh Emily I could talk to you forever I really forever. Could, I know but we really need to orchestrate something for this summer because
1: yeah.
0: um, to see you guys in person, to like hug you and smoosh you and just yeah. like be in your presence would be such a beautiful gift for me. Really, really like um, to see your successes. Like I look at you and. What an incredible success you have as a teacher and influencing everybody around you, not only in your classroom, but meeting these people, sharing things like that dry erase board that other people can connect to. And then I can pretend I'm really smart with my own kids. And you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm totally plagiarizing your stuff, but you know, whatever. I can take it your own, right? uh, Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, But wow, just to connect with you this morning, I'm so grateful that you signed up to be part of my podcast and, and hopefully we can create something this summer where we could do get to smush and hug and just be in each other's space and support each other even more in person. So that would be so lovely. It would be a
1: dream for
0: sure. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness! Thanks for taking this hour. I am so grateful I got to see you. Thank you. This was such a treat. Oh my gosh, your smile lights up the screen. Oh, no, it does, and I know you know that because it's beautiful and it always has. So thank
1: you so much. I did wear braces for a very long time. (laughs) I put in. (laughs) <laughs> put in the work. <laughs> in, so.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So have a great day.
1: Oh, Wendy okay. Sue, so it was so great to see you and same. you such same. A, a light and love as well. Thank you. Oh my
0: gosh. Oh my God. Day made. Day made. Oh day my day gosh. Made. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> have a good one. Happy Valentine's Day. Same, same. Thank you.